not bad, right? No. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, everything is just looking better and better and better. It is. It it's, is. It's sounding better. It's feeling better. Everything's almost coming together. It's almost sounding better. This is the Good Morning Liberty podcast, by the way. And I have to apologize about yesterday's episode because it sounded like total dog crap. Just awful. I got flooded with a text. Yeah. So <laughs> many one text about yeah. how terrible it was. And... You know, normally we have pretty good quality stuff, and we're switching into a new studio right now. It's maybe, what, half? It's not quite halfway finished right now. Yeah. We have a lot more sound-deadening things to put up because it's a bigger room. We're switching into the studio, but also building it out at the same time. Yeah, and so not only... show must go on. Not only did I fry our audio interface when we switched into the new area... But we also don't have any sound deadening panels in this room at all. So it's just a loud echo chamber of terrible, awful... It sounds bad. Like yesterday's episode sounds like it was produced under like a socialist regime, you know? <laughs> like it was your only option and we didn't care about quality. It was centrally p- like, produced. Yeah. It was like we held a monopoly on libertarian podcasts yesterday, so we decided that we didn't need to put out good quality. Because it's the only one you can listen yeah, to. And you have to, actually. We'll, right. we'll round you up and put you in a cage if you don't. <laughs> and that's exactly what you got yesterday. It was a socialist episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. That's just an example. We, we did it to make a point, actually. Yeah. It was to make a point. Now, look, I've heard worse. Yeah. yeah there I are have, worse I, podcasts, I so you're to. not doing a bad job. Maybe you shouldn't be so hard on yourself. Well, I would But today, you should compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Winning. That's and all being I can say. Way better. So much better. <laughs> I hope, actually. I don't know. What, we'll see. We'll see. It's a yeah. live recording. So we'll now see. Now, we say all of that to say you should subscribe you because should. it's just going to keep getting better. It, it, this new studio will work out. This is what happens when you try new things. It is. It, um, we have a lot of cameras we're trying to set up for this live show and everything. And, uh, you know, I guess the sound has fallen by the wayside. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, apologize to them, not I, me. Listen, everyone. I'm sorry. You're one of the only people to ever hear me say that. All, all one of you, ones. <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> there's but, not only one, but you're not the only one listening to us. By the way, whoever you, you are, you completely skipped over the fact that I said that they should subscribe. They should. They and should. Why is that? Well, because first off, if you care about this message, if you care about liberty and freedom and all these great things that we're talking about every single day. If you don't want to die in a prison camp. If you do not want to die in a socialist prison camp, then you need to subscribe to this show. That's your only option. <laughs> it's, it's that or subscribe. Right. That's it. And that's going to send our episode directly to your phone every single day when we release a new episode Somewhere between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., just like the cable guy coming over to your house. It's going to come out sometime between 8 and 5. We can guarantee you that for sure. So subscribe to the podcast. It's free. It's free. You just hit the button. You stretch your finger up there and hit the button. There's no reason not to, honestly. No, 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 there isn't. Unless you hate freedom and yeah. liberty. I mean, if you want people to die in socialist hellholes, then that's a reason to it not is. subscribe. Yeah. Before we get started here, I just wanted to just extend my gratitude. When yesterday we had a, a good episode, the content was really good. 
It was. The sound quality, not as good as it's been. We understand that. So thank you. Actually, I do want to thank people for reaching out and letting us know. Uh, cause that means you listen to the show and you care about it. That's really cool. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to extend my gratitude for all the people that chime in with us every single day. You guys are very active on social media, Facebook, sending us messages. We really, really appreciate that. We thank you guys for sharing the show. Uh, if you could, I need you to do one thing for me and that's leave us a rating and review, do it on your favorite podcast app and also do it on social media, mainly Facebook. Yeah. Uh, leave us a rating and review on Facebook. Tell us why you love the show. Uh, heck you can even tell us what we need to do better, but at least give it five stars at the same time. Yeah. Technically we just need better than three stars right yeah. now. And 3. it'll 1. help. And it'll help. 3.1. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying even a four star will bring it up because those haters are getting on our Facebook and telling us how we hate Trump because we said something negative about Trump one time. I was reading the reviews last night and one of them said, uh, not after this morning because I love my president. Yeah. Go President Trump. <laughs> so she didn't recommend didn't recommend us because we said something negative about about Trump. Yeah. And then we get people but, who hate Trump that say that we're terrible because we say positive things about Trump. Yes. When he does <laughs> good things. It's this is the plight as Nate mentioned. Yep. It's the, you know, it's our cross to bear. That's what it is. <laughs> when you when you when you believe in liberty above everything else, when it's principle over party and it's, it's, uh, ideas, I, you know, well, that's about, yeah, that's the, that's the right way of thinking about it. When it's ideas over people, yeah, because people make mistakes and Trump isn't perfect yeah. and Obama wasn't perfect and neither was Bush or any, we're not perfect. There's mistakes that we make. Speak for yourself there, Charlie. Very few of yeah. them. But, <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to, I just wanted to thank you guys uh, for tuning in, for sharing the show, for leaving us a rating and review. We can't thank you guys enough for all of that. And we do all this for you, all this new setup, this new build out, these cameras going live, the sound quality, buying new audio interfaces. We've invested a lot of money into the show for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we just, we're just thankful. Yeah. I just wanted to say that. I, ditto. I, I concur yeah. with that. Uh, so without further ado, let's do some news real quick. We don't have a news intro, so really I just say news really kind of lower yeah. and and drawn out. And that's our news intro so okay. far. Yeah, so uh, we had this on the docket yesterday. We ended up talking... Uh, the first thing we mentioned when we opened the show yesterday, we ended up talking for like an hour about it. So we didn't get into any of the real news headlines that we have, but I thought this one was interesting. It says, uh, so Trump can't block subpoena for tax records, says the appeals court. So this is from Zero Hedge. In August, New York state prosecutors in Manhattan subpoenaed Trump's accounting firm, uh, Mazars USA demanding eight years of his personal and corporate tax returns. Just one month after the Manhattan DA's office launched a criminal investigation into hush money payments made to porn star Stormy Daniels by former Trump attorney Michael Cohen, who is currently serving a three-year prison sentence, sentence on charges, which include breaking campaign finance laws. So basically this whole time since Trump got elected, people have been trying to get a hold of his tax records. He has not turned them over. Now, we can speculate about why he really doesn't want to turn those over. I mean, I think you could, I think you could discern that if it was all just uh, perfect and there was nothing bad in them whatsoever that he didn't want people to know about, then he would have released them, more than likely. 
by now. Oh, that gets into the whole private issue, though. I know. No, I'm not saying he should release them. Yeah. I'm just saying, do you think he's refusing just on the basis of privacy and the fact that he shouldn't have to? Or he wants to wait until the election is over. Like, In context of his other actions, like him releasing the transcript of the Ukraine call. Yeah. Um, I think it seems like maybe there might be something that he doesn't want the public to know. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I don't care. No, I don't either. I really don't like, care. He doesn't have to release them just because he doesn't have to. If he was tax, That's... if he was tax dodging, then good for him. I'll like him more if yeah. he's been taxed, tax dodging. Teach honestly. me your ways. Yeah, please. Because I, I want to, I want to pay the least amount of, as possible too. Yeah. So, so I just, I don't care about that. You know, if it's something worse, if it's like payments made to all these different people and they don't know why, or maybe he paid some money to Jeffrey Epstein at one point in time. Yeah. You know, there's just no telling what's going to come out from it. And uh, he obviously does not want the tax records to come out. But here's what I don't understand is why can't they do the investigation and they can get access to his tax records. They just don't make them public. They can, they can be sealed. Yeah. Unless there's actual evidence of criminal wrongdoing. Then of course that becomes public record. Yeah. But if there's no evidence of criminal wrongdoing, they don't, they don't have to be released. This this could be sealed under the investigation. Yeah, yeah. So I'm all for the investigation if there's evidence of a crime, which it seems that they've laid out here that the hush money paid to Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen, who was convicted, it seems like there is an investigation. There is a suspicion of criminal activity. Yeah. But they have to name. See, this is what's important about the Fourth Amendment. They have to name the specific things that they're looking for in his tax records. Yeah. They, they're looking for a crime right now instead of trying to, uh, they they know that there was a crime and now they're trying to find all the information and all the details about it. Instead, what they're doing is they're going out and looking for crimes to see if anyone has committed any crimes. And well, to they me, could, those are I mean, there could have really been, different. they could have suspicion of a crime that Michael Cohen has alluded to yeah yeah which they, i think you have the right to investigate at that point in time i mean have they seen michael cohen's tax records at that i don't I mean, know uh, i don't know if he's hiding them or not yeah um seems to me if michael cohen's connected to it and he's in prison now if you can look at his tax records um maybe they will maybe they would know if he had received any money from trump if if it wasn't tied to michael cohen's tax records and it's probably not going to be in trump's tax records either yeah more than likely i mean these guys are good at finding creative ways to shuffle money around. And uh, I want to get that good someday. But um, yeah, I just, I don't care. I just, uh, you know, I'm interested in knowing whether or not this is just another political witch hunt or if there is actually something to be found here. I don't don't know. Perhaps both. Yeah. The, The one thing I will say is try to remain principled on this. If you're listening right now, Put yourself in the situation that we are three years into Obama's presidency and he has refused to release any of his tax returns. Now, I don't know if he ever released his tax returns. I actually, I don't remember that ever being a big thing. I think he did. So just imagine what you would be saying about whoever the Democratic president was, whether it's Hillary Clinton or it's Barack Obama, something like that. What would you be saying about those people if they were refusing to release their tax records? Would you be calling for them to release those and calling for the government to force them to release those tax records? Or would you be saying that it's no one's business and they shouldn't be forced to do it? Right. That's, so that's something to you know just remember. Make sure that you stay principled on this because someday... 
the shoe's going to be on the other foot and you're not going to have a principled leg to stand on. So Yeah, the principled leg would be yeah. cut off. It's, it wouldn't be there. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't even have be able to put a shoe on your foot because mm -hmm. there wouldn't be one there. No. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, you couldn't put a principal boot on there. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> do you want to do the uh, Oklahoma thing? Well, I just want to say like on that principled base, what I think about is like, what if somebody wanted to see my tax returns? I don't, I don't have anything to hide, but I don't want anybody to like, that's personal information yeah. for me. I agree. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want anyone to force me to put mine and, right. I, do, and I do have stuff to hide. <laughs> <laughs> But you, <laughs> but you lost those records. I I lost them in the tragic bass fishing accident out there on Percy Priest Lake. They're Ooh. they're gone. So you now. know they're there. But they drug they drug the lake for it already. They they found the few bodies, but no tax returns out there. Yeah. So fish uh, ate them. Yeah. Yeah. They're just they're not there. It's like your dog eating your homework. <laughs> exactly. The fish ate my tax returns. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I went several years without paying state taxes, and I'm just fine. I'm right here. Okay. I'm right here. Well, El the good news is that Tennessee doesn't require state taxes. I know, but the, so. <laughs> the socialist hellhole that I moved from does require taxes. And what's hilarious is I went several years still being an Illinois resident, but I was in Tennessee and working in Tennessee. And when you do that, when you're a citizen of another state, well, you still owe your state taxes to the state that you are a, a legal resident of. So even though I lived here for three or four years... I was still a legal resident of Illinois, so all of the money that I was making in Tennessee technically was subject to Illinois uh, tax tax laws. Which is insane. Which is nuts. It's completely insane. Um, so they were asking me about it for a little bit. Eventually, one guy called me on the phone. He just said, "Hey, you know, we're missing some tax records, and I see, you know, the last few several years you haven't you haven't filed anything." And I was like, "Man." I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I moved to Tennessee like f like four years ago, four Which or five is years true. ago. Like I, I don't, you know, I don't have any Illinois taxes. I moved. Like that's a mis that's a mistake in your system. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just remove you from the system then. Sounds good. <laughs> and nice. Was, and that was it. That's a good government worker. There. That, that was it. It was a nice guy. Maybe he listens to the show. A great, great guy. <laughs> so that is a literal, um, that is a confession of me on recording right now saying that yes i did dodge taxes in illinois and i lived to tell it sue me yeah sue me for it illinois they might they actually. might now yeah <laughs> hey hey if you're in illinois don't show this anyone right just don't <laughs> all right up next uh, quickly transitioning 462 inmates walk out of oklahoma prisons today after largest commutation commutation <laughs> commute Communicated. <laughs> Communicated. Commu their sentences were commuted. Commutation. And so it's commutation. Commutation, then. yeah. Okay. Let me redo that. <laughs> 462 inmates walk out of Oklahoma prisons today after largest commutation in history. This is coming from TulsaWorld.com, which is Tulsa, Oklahoma, by the way. Starting today, 462 inmates will walk out of Oklahoma prisons. The decision to do that happened at the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board meeting on Friday where 527 inmates received sentence commutations. Supporters say it is the largest single-day commutation in state and national history. They say the action will drop the state out of the number one spot in the nation for incarcerations and put it in second. 
If you ain't first, you're last. Yeah. So, <laughs> so finally, not first place yeah. anymore. That's uh, not something I think you want to lead the nation. Hey, in. maybe they could start a competition here. Whoever just became first, maybe they'll release a bunch of people. Yeah. And they'll just keep going back and forth. Until we get the prison population down to yeah. where you're not in prison for plants. Listen, yeah. So how did they, I mean, why were, why were the sentence commuted well they decriminalized a lot of things like drug possession Ah. and uh, yeah so you know about half the people in prison in the united states are there and they've never harmed another person they did not have a crime against another person they were selling something that the government deemed illegal they were in possession of something that the government deemed illegal and they're just spending their lives uh getting turned into even worse kind of people in prison for a long time mm-hmm. so uh, this is a good thing uh from from what i can tell they they decriminalize these things and the people who are in prison for it well now they get to they get to get out and did other states do, like Colorado and California, the ones that legalized marijuana, did they release people in prison for marijuana? I'm actually not sure if they did or not. I don't remember seeing stories about that. I'm not saying that they didn't, um, but I'm actually not sure if they did either. And you know, Illinois also decriminalized marijuana, and then they've also uh, have legalized it recreationally. So I'm, I'm assuming they would be letting a lot of people out of prison also. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Hey, if you're in prison for that, by the way, should you get some kind of a, you know, reparations afterwards? If you were held for something that they've deemed should not have been illegal? I don't know. Maybe we should ask Kamala Harris. Yeah, maybe maybe she <laughs> she can run on that plan <laughs> because she's a prosecutor, folks. Yeah, um, she put a lot of people in prison she for did. smoking weed. She did. So, you know, it doesn't matter. To me, it doesn't matter where you come down on drugs because drugs are bad. Okay. Yes. They they're not they're not good. We do not yeah. say that anyone should do drugs whatsoever. But is it the best course of action to take someone who had uh, an illegal substance, a plant, a dried up old plant in their possession, and then put them in prison for ten or fifteen years? Well, you, know? you say illegal substance, Mike. The question is, can the government make that illegal? It's a weird thing because it was in fact here before the government. Right. Yeah. Um, so how that's to, to me, that's the actual, the actual quest question should be, I guess, philosophically, even what can the government make illegal and how in the world did we allow them to make a plant illegal based on the use of that plant? Yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure. I think, uh, what maybe it was in the thirties or forties, something really early, but I know they relied on a lot of shoddy science at that point in time. And this proof that like, weren't they like giving marijuana to dogs or something and saying that they were, and there was someone that had killed some people and they said that he was high on, on the demon weed when he was doing it. <laughs> and uh, demon weed. Yeah. And uh, so they used that also saying that it like makes you dangerous and everything. Yeah. But I'll admit that I've tried weed several times yeah i just don't like it yeah i don't i i don't think it should be illegal that's for sure um i just don't like it and but it's way less worse than alcohol yes and so we we tried to criminalize alcohol we all see how that worked out it wasn't good why don't we see how it works out with all the other drugs like there's a drug problem in america but mainly i think the more detrimental thing has come from government like everything else in life. Yeah. It's come from government. And like you said, drugs are bad. Yeah. I've tried some of them and I think most people have actually. Yeah. There's a lot of people that 
maybe a lot of people that haven't, but I think most people have tried some drugs. You know, I'm not going to call anybody out. Yeah. But people I know. I'm on like five legal drugs right now. And I feel like they're way worse, yeah. to tell you the truth. And and that's the thing. Like, we've we've got this stigma in society around some things that I just don't really agree that there should be a stigma behind. Like, sure, I don't think you should walk around just, you know, messed up on weed all day. I think it, it I think it, um, it ignores the problem. It puts it on the back burner. You never really focus on what you could do to ever solve the situation. It's the same thing you could say about alcohol, though. The same thing you could say about all kinds of different things that people get addicted to, whether it's caffeine, yeah, caffeine, the sugar, just uh, you know, terrible foods for you that can that we know will kill you, um, smoking, all kinds of things that are just really not good for you. They're not better than not doing it. But should we have should we have these drugs made completely illegal? Because when has that ever worked? You know, right? Obviously, it's not working. We've it's been like doing making, this for a long time. It's like making getting fat illegal. Yeah, the, maybe you know, maybe that would work. I'm not. I'm not really sure, but it's just. You <laughs> to, could you imagine having to weigh in with the government like every month? <laughs> <laughs> you probably will if they eventually are paying for all medical expenses. I know. To tell you the truth, they'll get your weight. Yeah, they'll start taxing sugar like like it's nobody's business for sure yeah. at that point in time. So they might even start allowing us to use American-made sugar at that point in time for like the real prices. <laughs> yeah, you know, they'll stop subsidizing any kind of those industries just so they can run the prices up on everything and deter people from being overweight you know but it's just this this kind of prohibition it just never works it ignores what the actual problem is uh, the problem is not that people do drugs the problem is that people want to do drugs and so you have to attack that problem what is it in people's lives what is it in society that is leading them to decide that this is better than my actual life so i need to be on this all the time and if you don't ever ask that question if you just decide that you're going to ban that substance then you never ever tackle the real problem you're just putting band-aids on the problem or you're mm-hmm. putting the problem in prison is really all you're doing and and as we see it's uh, it's not getting better. It's it's just not getting better. The drugs actually still make it into prison. They do. <laughs> so literally, there's yeah. walls. There's walls and gates and guards and all kinds of stuff. You can't go down one one hallway without having to go through another gate. And there's still drugs in the now, prisons. I'm sure they've all seen Shawshank Redemption, so they know it comes through the laundry. Oh, absolutely. It's always the laundry people. <laughs> it comes. It comes through the... I don't understand how they haven't been able to stop it. Well, it's because the guards are getting some of the kickback from they it. They are, yeah. That's, that's they the get thing. a percentage. They're, they're just human beings, too. Yeah, that's they the got thing. families. People who are prison guards are not perfect angels. You know, they're human beings that are corruptible, just like everyone else. So, I don't know. At the end of the day, it's just... It's no one else's business to tell me whether or not I can go down a bad path. At that point in time, it's just not your business. Now, I'm not going to force you to cover all of my bills and all of my payments after I ruin my life. You know, that shouldn't be your job. But other than that, if you want to destroy your life, that's what freedom is. It's uh, it's making your own decisions. Well, I actually think about it. I, I I hate those memes that are like, oh, insulin costs this much, but Narcan's free if I OD. It's like, look, come on. How many people that are drug addicts that end up in those low-life places actually decided that they wanted to be there? Yeah. How many of them were like, oh man, how can I ruin my family? Um, you know, steal from people, be homeless, 
and shoot up heroin every like no one wants to do that. That they wasn't their don't, goal. No. There are things that lead people to that. Um sometimes very normal people. Now there are I would say there are a few that are horrible. But yeah. most of them aren't. Most of them are just regular human beings that a lot of bad things have happened to them and they've ended up in a bad spot. Yeah. And unfortunately they have addictive personalities. Well, like I said, it's like deciding that you're going to smoke or deciding that you're going to eat a package of chocolate chip cookies every single day or some Oreos or drink a, drink a pack of Coca-Cola every single day or, or, you know, drink a six pack of beer or something like that. I mean, there are tons of decisions that people get into and then they can't get their habits that you get into. If you don't Mm want to, if you don't want to say that you're addicted to sugary foods or foods that are bad for you, that's fine. But once you get into those kinds of habits, it's really, really hard to get back out of it. And this is just another one of them. We're habitual creatures. We are, we are. And we, we tend to go towards, what is more expedient most of the time, mm-hmm. whatever is the easiest. So I have a problem, therefore I'm just going to mask this problem with some kind of a something else. Or I'm I'm tired because I never go to bed on time and and uh, and I just I'm going to start having 800 milligrams of caffeine every single day, you know. Or I'm really more. Sh- I'm really stressed out, so I just feel a little bit better whenever I smoke a pack of cigarettes, you know. And has and, your doctor ever asked you how many cups of coffee you have a day? Uh, they did when I was doing the whole narcolepsy thing. I have narcolepsy, by the way, everyone who's kidding. Okay. I'm back now. Um, (laughs) I have narcolepsy, by the way, everyone who's uh, listening right now. Um, they did ask me how many cups of coffee I have. I have a, I only have one pot of coffee every single day. That's what what I was going to say. Yeah. I looked at my doctor and I was like, uh, how do you, how many cups are in a pot? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because by the way, we still do pots of coffee here at the office because Keurigs. Yo, if you were drinking the amount of coffee that we do every single day and using a Keurig, there's just no way. One, it's expensive Two, it I don't even think it's that convenient. It's really not and three. I mean, we drink the pot so fast that it's still as fresh as can be. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's one p. Holy crap! It's one p.m. It's one p.m. and we're on our second pot of coffee right now. So yeah. I mean, eh, yeah, I just smelled it brewing. That's not good for you. But we've gone down that hole now, and I I can't imagine a life without caffeine. And if they make it illegal and they want to put you in prison because you're having some kind of caffeine then I'm probably going to go to prison more than likely. I love that good old smelling bean water. It's good. It's good stuff. I like it with creamer though. And I don't care <laughs> how manly you think I am. I, I like it with creamer too. I do. I do. I and use I, Splenda though. You know, people have made fun of me and you for that. And I, you know what? I know. I enjoy my life. So <laughs> you drink your, you know, un, un uh, creamered bean water. Your if unadulterated like. coffee. Yeah. If you want to have that straight coffee. There's, I'll put cream in mine. There's one more story that goes along with this conversation. I'm just going to add it in real quick. So this story from NPR.org, California seizes more than $1.5 billion in illegal marijuana. Hmm. Now, how can that be? Because they legalized recreational marijuana. So... California authorities announced they seized more than $1.5 billion worth of illegal marijuana in fiscal year 2019, or the rough equivalent of the state's legal market for cannabis. More than 953,000 plants were seized from 345 rated growth sites around the state. Authorities arrested 148 people and confiscated 168 weapons under California's campaign against marijuana planting. 
or camp program. I don't it even says, like camping. It says illegal cannabis grows are devastating our communities. Criminals who disregard life, poison, poison our waters, damage our public lands, and weaponize the illegal cannabis black market will be brought to justice, said Attorney General Xavier Becerra. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Becerra in a statement on Monday. Although cannabis has been legalized for use in California, there is still a large unlicensed black market, said Robert Paoletti, coordinator, Colonel, California National Guard, counter drug task force. Our participation works to prevent this illegal market in order to promote a fair marketplace for those growers, producers, and vendors who choose to operate within the system that the voters approved. Wow. Yeah. So now I want to ask the question, why do you think a black market would surface in a place where cannabis is legal? Well, uh, I would I would speculate that it's because they've made it pretty difficult to get licenses to grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once you list yourself as a marijuana grower, I'm sure you're subject to all kinds of different regulations and fees. And therefore, when you sell your product, it ends up costing a lot of money, probably more than it would have on the street. And it ends up being pretty difficult to get one of the licenses. A lot of these places, they've got a specific set number of licenses that they've decided they're going to allocate to people. Which also does what? Well, it uh, well, it's it's controlling. It reduces yeah, competition. It, re- it, it controls all the competition. And this is the funny thing. Like, even though they've made this legal, they've decided that it is completely fine, just like drinking alcohol, just like anything else, for you to smoke marijuana in California. It's it's just fine. But if you grow it and then you sell it to other people who want to smoke marijuana, then you can still go to prison for it. Yeah. It's it it's insane. It's insane is what it is. You don't have a license. Um, who needs a license to grow a plant? I, I know. This I know. is a natural plant that would grow on its own. So this is the system. Regardless, what, okay. What if you found uh wild marijuana and you just decided to harvest it? Do you need a license for wild marijuana? I think you do the same thing you do if you find a wild eagle. You pull out your gun and shoot it at that, <laughs> at that point in time. I love this line. Criminals who disregard life poison our waters. What does the water have to do with this? I mean, probably because of the chemicals that they're using. But I mean, Damage our public lands. That's any farm. It's just a farm. That's that's a farm that's growing plants. And weaponized the illegal cannabis black market. <laughs> Uh, it's they're still doing the same thing. That's the point. Like they still have all these anti-drug task forces, and these National Guard is getting involved trying to root out these illegal black market marijuana growers. I mean, it's the same thing. It's the, so ridiculous. The, so they really they acted like they solved the problem, but then here they are controlling the actual market for something. In the same way, you know, if I started making beer here at your apartment, I don't know that I could just open that up and start selling it to people. I doubt I could. I'd have to get a liquor license from the from the commissioner or whoever that is in the in the county. Um, you'd have to get all kinds of licenses to be able to do that. You gotta have your business set up, all these different things if you're going to make your own product and sell it to someone. And they've decided that they're going to only allow a certain amount of people to have these licenses. So people who don't want to deal with all that, well, they're just in the terrible, evil black market for doing this. 
And what you find is you're just going to end up having the same thing that you used to have, really. That's just really what you're still going to have. And the reason why they have weapons is because they have to find a way to, you know, protect their illegal operation. Yeah, yeah. So it's like to avoid violence is to actually just decriminalize it. That's this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. It's you know, and they do this with all kinds of products. I mean, you have to have a license to operate really any business where you're going to be serving the public with something. You you have to get some kind of a license. Now in contracting, which I used to do, you don't have to get a license for for everything. Like if you're painting people's houses, you don't have to have a license for that. But if you're going to do any kind of structural work, anything like that, you need to get a license. And then, which by the way, just means that you passed a test that is as easy as telling them what color stop sign is. And um, that's basically, <laughs> then you're a licensed contractor and you can get more business from doing that. Does you have to pay a fee. You got to pay a fee. That's the important part. You're paying yes. the fee. That that's That's really all it is. Now, you don't pay that fee. No, that the fee costs yeah, that gets passed down to the customer. No, the people who I did work for paid the fee. That's right. that's who paid the fee. And it's you know they did the same thing in Illinois. They legalized recreational marijuana in Illinois recently. And my so my family operates a farm. They've got a, a couple thousand acres in the southern part of Illinois. And I know that sounds like a lot, but that's not actually that big of a farm. And land there is 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 really cheap. So don't you know I'm not sitting on a gold throne here or anything like that. Um, it's actually, it's a nice chair, but just a silver one. Yeah. Just a, just a (laughs) racing bucket chair. Um, it's not even yours really. It's your family's. I know. I know. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. So anyway, my family has a farm in Illinois and they just legalized recreational marijuana and they were looking at, uh, should they grow? And then they looked into that and they said, no, it's, it's way too expensive to be a grower. There, there's no way. And then, and then why would you invest into that? Because someone else could become the governor in 10 years and make it illegal again if they wanted to. So they're, you know, they're just, they're not going to get into it. They're not going to make the investment because you're at the whim of the politics at that point in time. And they don't know if they're going to make it illegal again. And then what all the people in town basically settled on when they looked at whether or not they could open up a dispensary in town, well, the people in town told them, yeah, it's still just going to be cheaper for me to buy it from my guy. So, you know, they're, you're not going to sell it at your store. You're like, gonna, you can get the exact same product. Yeah, I'm going to get the same thing, cheaper. and I'm going to get it for half as much from my guy. So don't even worry about opening up your dispensary. And that's the problem. When you inject the government into all of these markets, you have all of these little side markets where people can do a, maybe a better job or at least get everyone what they want for a cheaper price sometimes. And it's tax-free. And it's non-taxable income. Tax-free. <laughs> so anyway, I mean... This is frustrating. It goes along with the fact that, you know, Oklahoma releasing all those people because they've commuted all those sentences. And then we have this drug seizure in California for people growing something that is illegal for people to use. So it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. I, I just give up on this stuff. California usually doesn't make any sense, honestly. <laughs> okay, so uh, one more story here. We got a Joy Behar suggest. This is Joy Behar from The View suggests that Democrats shouldn't warn Americans ahead of time before taking their guns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this is, from a the, good idea. this is from the Daily Wire. So ABC's The View co-host Joy Behar suggested on Monday that Democrats should wait until they are elected into public office before they reveal to the American people their true political intentions. They should not tell everything they want. This is a quote from her. They should not tell everything they're going to do, Behar said. Like, if you're going to take people's guns away, wait until you get elected and then take the guns away. Don't tell them ahead of time. 
Now she wants a, a covert gun takeaway operation. Now I wanted to remind you, Charlie, that you're just a fear monger for thinking that liberals want to take your guns away. By the way, that's not yeah, what they, they want to do. No, no, that's not what they want to do. They don't want it. They, that's not their intention. No one's saying that they want to take your guns, Charlie. You're just fear mongering and you know being an alarmist. That's just not the case. I don't know why you bring it up all the time. You yeah. know, so <laughs> no, nobody in the Democrat Party has ever alluded to that. Nope, nope. It's just a conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat. You listen to too much Alex Jones. You're an info war maniac. That's all you are. So this is, you know, this is what people just say Republicans are on the right or Second Amendment advocates or freedom to defend yourself advocates. This is what people have known for a while. And that this ideology, this ideology on the left can cannot allow you to keep your guns. It, it really just can't. And we've been saying that for a long time. And we have what you can tell we're being sarcastic about it, but we have been told before that we were just fear mongering, that no one ever said they wanted to take your guns away. That's not the case. You know, you're you're just you're just trying to scare people, you know. So this is something that we've already known. We've already known this for a while. And you can actually look throughout history, obviously. Any of the socialist regimes, communist regimes, or whatever they are. They could not allow their people to have guns. No, just look at Venezuela. They, mm-hmm. they, their people don't have guns. And and look what they're stuck in. When they riot or when they protest, they can just get mowed down by the police. You know, the, the, the government doesn't have anything to worry about. The people can't protect themselves. So I mean, They make this, Molotov cocktails. They, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is just something that we've known for a while. We've been saying already that these people want to take our guns. And what Joy Behar is alluding to is that Beto O'Rourke made a mistake by saying that he was going to take the guns. By saying, hell yes. He, he should have lied about it. He should have not told anyone that he wanted to. He should not have let everyone know what his actual political beliefs were or what he was going to do as president. And then he should have just done it when he got in office. Which is actually my plan. Yeah, exactly. That's a good my, plan. My plan is to hide my libertarian intentions Yeah. of dismantling. You're not hiding them very well right now. No, I guess I'm putting it on record now. <laughs> but, you know, my plan for run, to run for political office is to be as, you know, populist as I can possibly be to get elected. And then once I'm in there, I've got four years. Yeah. And maybe eight in case everything goes well. Everything's going to go well. It's going to go swimmingly. When you get in there, you're just going to start hitting the delete button on, yeah. on everything. Like Department of Education. Don't need a budget for that. No, see ya. We yeah. don't need it. Uh, what, EPA. Don't need a budget for that. Yep. Whatever it is. See all you these, later. All these ridiculous departments. FDA. A, see you later. Yep. Goodbye. Goodbye. Watch all the prices fall. I know. That. I know. That, that's exactly what would happen. And I, would by balance, the way, I would balance the budget in six months. People would not just immediately start dying from medications if the FDA uh, was gotten rid of, by the way. That's kind of no. a common miscon. Now, they find they found a couple times where medications were dangerous and they had them pulled. Even FDA approved ones, but then even yeah, <laughs> that were already approved by the FDA, and then they and then they removed them. There are still, I mean, look at our look at our opioid epidemic that we have. Those are FDA approved drugs. Yeah, you know, um, and this this idea that the FDA is what's keeping all the drugs safe. I mean, none of these drug companies are going to last at all if most of their people die upon taking the medication. 
Like that that's just that's not going to work, especially when they're open for lawsuits and all kinds of things like that and they kill all of their customers. That's not a very good long-term business plan that investors are going to put their money into. So th- this idea that if we didn't have the FDA, well then you'd just be dying from your drugs. I think we'd have more life-saving drugs on the market because the FDA's tendency is to shy towards not approving drugs because they want to make sure that nothing dangerous ever gets out there, that nothing with any negative consequences gets out there. So they're more likely to deny drugs. And what that, what you end up seeing with that is over time, you have some drugs that would have had a net positive benefit on the people that end up not getting approved. You know what I actually heard? I was watching a video the other day on healthcare. (coughs) Excuse me. I've got this tickle in my throat. I was watching this video on, on healthcare the other day and it was very surprising to learn that in other countries like UK and Canada that have, you know, free healthcare, let's say they actually don't tell patients about new expensive drugs that they could try yeah. because they're not allowed to try them because they're too expensive and the government won't pay for them. Yeah. How yeah. unbelievable is that? I know. I know. It's like, Hey, you're stuck on, you know, this old medicine because we can't afford to try the new one. You know, it's uh, really funny. <clears throat> this is a kind of a side note on that, but um, I've mentioned several times before, my wife is a financial analyst for HCA, and she was telling me about this new procedure that they have that's like cutting edge, amazing procedure using this new technology. And she said, you know, it just sucks. It's it's really expensive. Like it costs, it costs about $23,000 for the procedure for us to do. Uh, because it's new, you know, they've got a lot of cost wrapped up in it. It requires a lot of personnel. It requires new technology. And it costs about $23,000 for us to do the procedure. And she said, and we just found out today that Medicare said they're only going to pay us 15000 for it. She's like, so we're not going to recommend the procedure for anyone. She's like, we'll lose money every single time that we do it. So it's just, it's one of those things where you see there are some more life-saving things that could be out there. And then the government just decrees, we're not going to pay more than this much. So yeah. the people who provide it say, well, I can't do it for that much. So I just, I, I got to go. Right, exactly. I was going to deviate um, a little bit. We went down a little bit of a healthcare rabbit hole. We did. Because we do that. Yeah. Because we're so good at it. <laughs> but uh, back on this gun note, I'm going to pull a fast one on you because this wasn't part of the podcast notes, I don't think. Okay. All right. Did you see this story? No. From Fox News. Of course, everyone's mm. reporting on this. I did see it, yeah. Pregnant Florida woman uses AR-15 to fend off burglars attacking her family. Now, she must have not had a terrible boating accident where she lost her AR-15. Like like you. Like I did. But from the article, a Florida woman, a Florida woman who was eight months pregnant and came out wielding an AR-15 rifle reportedly saved her husband and preteen daughter last week from a pair of violent intruders who'd broken into the family's home. With the gun-toting matriarch fatally strike, fatally striking one of the men who was later found dead in a nearby ditch, Jeremy King was at his home in Lithia, 25 miles southeast of Tampa, at 9 p.m. Wednesday night when two armed men wearing masks and hoods broke inside. As soon as they had got the back door open, they had a pistol on me and was grabbing my 11-year-old daughter. King told Bay Nine News. I'm telling them I have nothing for you. And they're like, give me everything you got. It became real violent, real fast. And then the wife who's pregnant eight months got the AR 15 rifle and 
shot and killed one of them, and the other one fled. Now, So imagine that. If I were her, I'd be careful disclosing my location to Beto O'Rourke. I just, I don't, I don't know if they, if she should have gone, if they should have gone public with this, but he's probably already on his way to their house right now. Yeah. I'm sure he's trying, he's riding a skateboard all the way to her house right now. And this gets into the conversation of like, oh, no one needs, no one needs an AR-15. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not a home protect, it's a machine, like a machine of war. Yeah. My, my dad's got an AR-15 by his bed. But think about this, right? Now, the the guys were around her daughter and her husband. So if she would have used something like a shotgun, that would have sprayed a bunch of pellets and could have injured her her family as well. Yeah. If she would have used a pistol, um it also could have gone a little bit badly. They're not as accurate. Yeah. But as an with an AR15, it's lightweight. It's easy to aim. It's not as uh it doesn't penetrate as much, so you don't have to worry about like a hunting rifle. The bullet would go through your house and the neighbor's house and the neighbor's house. Yeah. So it's something that's small and compact and does what it's necessary, and it's very, it's highly, highly accurate. It's easy to shoot. It's a very, very good home defense weapon. It is. I think what people don't realize if you don't have a gun or you haven't shot a lot of different guns is that, like what Charlie said, it a pistol is great, and it's great for close quarters and everything. But they are—they're not very accurate. I mean, no. you, you've got like a like a four-inch barrel on some. Actually, that would be a little bit bigger than the one that we just gave away. Um, you've got a very short barrel on these guns, and the shorter the barrel, the harder it is to actually aim that accurately. And so, when you're dealing in a close quarter situation where you've got your family around these intruders it's better to actually have some type of a rifle, like you said, because you can actually aim that accurately. So uh, good job for her. Good good job. That's yeah, I good. Think I think it's amazing. And yeah. I think it leads, obviously, to where people need these types of weapons. Like, there's a family that's alive yeah. because of this weapon. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's evidence enough. It, well, it is, that. and that's the only you know you don't even need evidence to have the ability to have the uh, right to defend yourself. But if you if you were looking for evidence in this fact, I mean that's that's really uh, you've got some good stuff right there. So uh, yeah, good for her. I, I think yeah. I hope uh, I hope she uh, hope her husband takes her out for a nice steak dinner. I didn't so. mean to deviate. No, I that's just, okay. You know, I just didn't know if you had heard that story. So um, this last one here, Krispy Kreme. Well, if you guys have seen this story, now, there is an update on it, so we'll say that in a minute. But Krispy Kreme tells young entrepreneur to stop selling their donuts across state lines. Hmm. I don't know if he ran into some insurance regulations or what this was. Yeah, what, yeah what happened? <laughs> okay, so it says, For months, Minnesota resident Jason Gonzalez would drive nearly four hours from his home in Champlin to Clive, Iowa, in order to purchase dozens of boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts before making the four-hour drive home. In total, Gonzalez packed his Ford Focus with up to 100 boxes, each with 12 donuts inside. As the St. Paul Pioneer Press reported, Gonzalez charged customers $17 to $20 per box, with some spending upwards of $100 on each of his trips. The money Gonzalez made went toward his college education. Gonzalez told the Pioneer Press that Krispy Kreme had told him to cease and desist, suggesting his small business could create a liability for them, even though the young entrepreneur bought the donuts at full cost out of his own pocket. 
So that's ridiculous to me, by the way. Insane. We spend a lot of time defending a lot of businesses and some big businesses on here and saying why they do things. And it's also important to remain objective here and call this ridiculous thing out, which is that when you purchase a product from someone, I don't think you have any right to tell them what they're going to do with it. They could throw it in the dumpster right after they leave. They could set it on fire at their house. They could throw it up in the air and use it for target practice if they want to. They can give it to, you know, starving people in their hometown. They could if that's, eat it. If that's legally allowed, they could eat it. That's one of the options and yeah. gain a bunch of weight, you know, yeah. if they want to do that. And so once you purchase the product, uh, how can they come in and tell you that you, you can't do a certain thing with it? You know, like if I buy a whole bunch of MacBooks from Apple and then I list them online and I sell them for for 100 bucks more, can Apple tell me that I can't sell my MacBooks online? You're not an, for, author, for, you're not an authorized retailer. For man. whatever price I set that I want to sell them for? Yeah. I mean, what about all the people who have things listed on Amazon or eBay or Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace right now? Those are products that were purchased from another company. Can't sell dressers. I can't sell any of that a stuff. desk? No. That, monitors? That extends liability to the corporation, right? Yeah, somehow. No, it's just a, it's a secondhand donut, okay? He doesn't need to <laughs> prove that he bought the donut either, okay? He's got the receipts. He bought the donut. He's selling them for 17 to $20. Probably expensive, but that's what people are willing to pay in this evil, evil black donut market <laughs> that we have going on here. And uh, hopefully, Is there well, a National Guard team? I don't know. There's <laughs> that's a, focused on... the. <laughs> The, the the black market donut the, hole. The National Guard Anti Krispy Kreme Donut Task Force has been yeah. has been sent to Iowa to stop this from happening. But also nicknamed Camp. Somehow. Yeah, still <laughs> with a K. Still just called Camp. <laughs> yeah. So it's just even if you were going to pick these up, I mean, obviously he bought them at the store. Let's say he's not selling the donuts, but he's charging a fee to each person for the for driving to the store and picking them up. Like, why couldn't you just do that? Okay, I'm not selling you the donuts, okay? But I am going to charge you a fee for driving to the donut shop. Like Uber Eats. Yeah, just like Uber Eats That's does. what he is. He's yeah. an Uber Eats and long-distance Uber Eats. He probably just doesn't have the license that Uber Eats has, I guess. Something like that. Well, he just needs to change what he's charging for. He's not charging for donuts. Yeah, no. He's charging a fee. No, he's charging for drive it's time. It's a delivery fee. Exactly. Just a delivery fee. Now... We obviously disagree with Krispy Kreme's move. And here's the cool part, because I didn't even want to bring this up yet. This is how fast capitalism works, by the way. When people are unhappy with something that the business is doing, it can change pretty quick. Because I read this story last night from the Daily Wire, and then this morning, when I brought the story to copy it, I read the update. Krispy Kreme has responded to Gonzalez's plight. In a statement on Twitter, the company said, we're happy to say we're helping Jason restart his business, and they've donated 500 dozen donuts to him. He was asked to stop selling to protect everyone involved. He will work as an independent operator for us, and together we'll ensure delivery of our donuts to our fans in Minnesota. How about that? I was going to say, why wouldn't Krispy Kreme come out and be like, Hey, look, we obviously we need to open up a store here. There's a huge demand and like let the guy operate it. Yeah, it's it's just Wouldn't that make sense? Uh, that would have made sense. I, they said that the last Krispy Kreme store in that location in that area closed like 11 years ago, so I guess they thought there wasn't. And maybe there's not enough demand to run an entire store. And yeah. this guy's 100 boxes is like all the demand. Right. I, don't, I don't know. But uh this is so the the point of bringing this out is 
people were unhappy with this. They were upset with Krispy Kreme. I was literally already seeing movements to boycott Krispy Kreme last night after I read this story. And then all of a sudden today, they've already came out and said, hey, we messed up. We're going to donate a bunch of donuts to this guy. He's allowed to be back in business and pay for his college operations. Call off the dogs. Uh, you know, everything's going to be just fine. Just Amazing. Like, just like that. Now, how long when the government is doing something that you don't like with some kind of product that you don't like from them or something that they're regulating or something they're providing to you that you don't, that you don't like whatsoever, what is the time frame that you can expect the government to change what they're doing? Years. Years, if ever. At least. Years, if ever, yeah. is, the, is the actual answer there. Lifetimes, if ever. Yeah, so <laughs> it, I just, while I did want to point out the fact that this was a stupid move That's by Krispy awesome. Kreme initially, this is amazing how quickly the story turns around because they didn't want any bad press. People were upset about it. That's amazing. That's the, that's what, and you know, maybe capitalism can be better in today's social media, you know, in the, in the world that we have where we can post and get stories to go viral. Oh, it's way better. It's think so about much better re- now. Think about the review system that Amazon created. I know. I know no, like, people don't really realize that they created that, but the, they were the first person to allow the reviews on their site and the sellers hated it. They were fighting them tooth and nail for putting those reviews on their website because they be didn't, a better seller. They didn't want people to be able to leave reviews. And they decided that that was what they were going to do to remain accountable to the people they were selling things they to. They wanted to uh, have their comment box left private. Yeah, exactly. So No, this is a public comment box. No, we're going to let we're going to let everyone air out their grievances here. So it's just amazing how quickly someone can come into action and especially with today's social media age maybe some of these bad things that do happen under capitalism. No one is perfect. There are evil people, and there are definitely evil people that run corporations. But maybe when we see things like this, we can pressure companies to change what they're doing, to change their ways. And I just think that that's a, I don't know, that's really cool. It also brought me to this other story, which I don't know if you heard, I know Charlie heard yesterday, but uh, McDonald's CEO was ousted. Uh, now he was he was let go from the company for having a consensual relationship with one of the employees. So it says this is from Yahoo Finance. McDonald's said Sunday that it had fired CEO Steve Easterbrook due to what the company described as a recent consensual relationship with an employee that violated company policy. Chris needs to change his last name, President of McDonald's USA, <laughs> will take over as CEO, according to the company's press release Sunday night. It's Kimsinski. Yeah, Kimsinski. There you go. Kimsinski. You got it. Yeah. Polish, so then, <laughs> probably, somewhere around there. In, maybe an email, in an email to McDonald's employees, Easterbrook called the relationship a mistake. He said, given the values of the company, I agree with the board that it is time for me to move on, Easterbrook said. Please join me in congratulating Chris on his promotion. I know you will support him as you have supported me. He's lucky to have a team of your caliber. Hmm. Now, first things first, I don't know why he didn't just release a statement that said that this was all due to sexism 
and that everyone just hated him because he was a man, and this was a ridiculous day and age for men who were having relationships with their subordinates. It should have been everyone else's fault. It should have been everyone else's fault, exactly. Why is this not everyone else around him's fault? Why isn't this the people who let them know that he was having this relationship, or the people who got upset about it? Why isn't it their fault that this happened? It's weird that he, it seems like he took responsibility. Yeah, he, he said the relationship was a mistake, and, and then he was very, he left out gracefully, obviously congratulating the guy who's going to be replacing him. I mean, so this is just amazing. And what's even, what's even crazier is this idea, like when, when Katie Hill had to leave Congress last week or whenever it was, that she came out and said that it was really just due to, to a double standard and bias and sexism because she had a relationship with her employees and, and that they were only getting rid of her because it was just a double standard against women. And that's all it was. And then you have the CEO of McDonald's, one of the biggest companies in the world, uh, bows who, out gracefully. Who violated McDonald's company's ethic policies. Violated their policy. Where they cannot have a relationship with an employee. With a subordinate. And, he, and he's gone immediately yes. afterwards. It's, it's just... It's not that the relationship is bad. It was just an ethics violation to say, hey, you're position and the, and the decisions that you make a CEO could be compromised. Yeah. Yeah. By, by having a relationship with, with somebody beneath you. So that's just, um, we just wanted to bring some of these stories out because first off, we talk so positively about capitalism all the time and corporations and all that. And, and we could sound like we're just people who are just corporate apologists sometime, something like that. We know, we realize that there are bad people inside of every system all the time. You know, maybe some of the socialist countries were corrupted by evil, corrupt individuals. Uh, people in capitalism, there have been evil, corrupt individuals that have made the system not work as well as it should. And that's always going to exist. It's, it's always going to be the case. So we have to make sure that we recognize this. And when we think about all the different systems of government that you can have, all the different power structures or the economics of it, anything that you want to think about, you have to ask yourself, which one of the options, whether it be capitalism, socialism, communism, fascism, ismism, whatever different ism you want to find, whether it be any of those, which one of those structures still allows for evil people to be corrupted and do evil things and still will maintain the growth of the society over time, will still bring more prosperity to the people over time, will call out its bad actors and actually, and actually ax them uh, as soon as possible. Which one of those systems will identify those evil people and get rid of them as swiftly as possible? Now, I'm not saying that all of the evil people inside of capitalism have been ousted yet, but a lot of them do lose their jobs immediately because these people do not want to be associated with it. But then you ask yourself, what about in a socialist or communist or fascist government? What happens when those people, the same human beings, still become corruptible or still evil in some kind of a way? Can you get rid of them in the same fashion that McDonald's just got rid of their CEO? Can you actually do that? Or do they, in fact, just stay in power for years and years and still have all the control that they, that they always had? You know, that, that's the main question. Which system allows for actual fixes in this 
evil, evil, corruptible people that we have that are running everything. And that, that's capitalism to me. So I, I don't know. What, what were you doing? Charlie was typing up um, a, a book report or something while we were talking about that. Well, I wanted to research how many executives like at corporations like McDonald's and Walmart and things like that, how many of them actually came up through the ranks? Because like the CEO of Walmart started out as a stock boy, yeah. you know? Um, a lot of executives at McDonald's started out as the fry person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they were like, they started in the drive through or they were flipping burgers or whatever. And I was just thinking like, I wish I could get like a percentage. That's what I was looking for. I can't find it readily available, but we had talked about this last week, I believe. And you know how cool capitalism is, is the fact that you can start out making minimum wage and then one day run the, the freaking company. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And so, obviously, that takes a lot of talent and hard work. But, you know, hard work is one thing you can change. Talent, not not so much. But doing the right things and, and working hard and being better than who you were yesterday can lead you to great success in this life. And so, instead of complaining about CEOs and things like that, it, you, you should strive to be one no matter where you're at in life. There's, there's no dream that's too far. Like, if you're stocking shelves and... Walmart right now, you know, say to yourself like, man, one day I'm going to be the CEO of this company. I'll like, s- make that your goal. And then what happens if you make executive vice president? You didn't get your ultimate goal, but, uh, Steve Easterbrook was a manager at a McDonald's when he was 26 years old. Wow. The CEO that just got, just got ousted. So how about that? Yeah. Yeah. He started out as a manager yep. when he was 26. Yep. And then all the way to CEO of McDonald's. Yep. CEO <laughs> from from general manager. Yep, but it's only the well connected and wealthy people who ever garner any wealth. Charlie, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. There's no way that people can. There's no way that the CEO of Walmart was a stock boy when he was 16 years old at Walmart. There's just but, no way. But he was. He was. He yes. actually was. So that's that's something we were talking about yesterday. You know, like. People don't see the struggle. They would think you're like an overnight success. Are you the CEO of Walmart? You must have grown up really rich. You must be really powerful and had all this stuff handed to you and never worked a day in your life. Stuff went like to, that. Went to Harvard. Yeah, that's just that's it's not the case. Like you miss the fact that this person was struggling through life trying to figure out what he wanted to do for like 40 years before he actually worked his way up in the executive level at, at Walmart or or McDonald's or whatever it was. You you miss all of that part. And so you look at this six this 52-year-old man and say, "Well, he's just got everything in the world handed to him and all that." And remember, you're talking about a 52-year-old man. You're not talking about a 26-year-old like you might be. Uh, when he was 26, he was just a manager at McDonald's. So, don't compare yourself to who this guy is today. You know, you, you want to compare yourself to who you were yesterday. That's that's the best thing to do. And if you improve on yourself a little bit every single day and actually have some kind of a goal, some kind of a target that you're aiming towards, then you could make it. You know, the, the idea, like Jordan Peterson says, that you're going to accomplish all the things that you want in some amazingly perfect life without aiming at whatever your goal is, it's like near zero. But at least if you aim at what your goal is and you believe that it's possible, you have a slightly higher chance of hitting that target. 
Yeah. You've got like no chance. Are you going to throw a dart at a dartboard with your with your eyes closed without ever looking anywhere? Like what are your chances of hitting the dartboard versus if you're actually looking at the dartboard? You have a lot higher chance of it unless you're me. You have a lot higher chance of hitting it. And most companies do they hire from within like even HCA has a new uh, CEO as of, I think this year. And he has been with HCA for 35 years. Yeah. As CEO. No, just made it to CEO (laughs) this year. He started out in Humana's financial management specialist program in 1983. So he probably started out making, well, in 1983, he was probably making like whatever, 15 grand a year. Yeah. You know, that's it. And then from there, because he was good at finances, he moved into HCA and he held a couple different CFO positions for specific hospitals, like one hospital. Yeah. And then he he moved on up to doing uh, CFO operations for a group of hospitals. So he he moved to the HCA's Healthcare's Western group. Um, And then from there, he moved on up. He kept moving up, moving up, moving up. And now he's CEO. He's the leader, the chief executive officer of every single entity that HCA owns. Like 190 hospitals. Yes. Yeah. A lot. And Sarah Cannon and all kinds of stuff. You know. 1,800 sites of care. I obviously. Surgery centers, freestanding ERs, urgent care centers, physician clinics, 21 states in the United Kingdom, a $44 billion company. Yep. Started out just working regular finance stuff. And he had to work there for 35 years. So your wife is in finance. Maybe she'll she, be the CEO. And that's what I was going to say. 35 years. You know, my, so my wife works for that company and her goal is to become a, a CFO. Maybe of a, she wants to be CFO of a hospital. But from um, there, she could go on to division yeah, and she could multiple she, hospitals. She could go further. The company's headquartered here in Nashville. So she can keep moving up. And she's been working her way. She started with the company like six years ago, probably making, you know, high 40s somewhere something like that i don't know what that comes out to an hour but you know got out of college went to didn't go to harvard or anything like that you know it's a modest college here in here in nashville it's actually the one we're going to be speaking yeah, at. we'll be speaking there on november 21st at 7 p.m we'll be speaking at mtsu in the student union building if you guys want to come listen but yes so she went to mtsu and she got out and she got an entry-level job at at a at tristar which is owned by hca and she's been working her way up that company ever since then. And her goal is to be a CFO. And now when she got to the company, she was not angry with the CFO for being the CFO or anything like that. Like she knows that she's going to have to work her way up to it over time. And they do prefer to promote from within because they want to reward their people who are, who are good workers. They want to keep them there. So this idea that like, you just got to a company and you're mad that the CEO makes a bunch of money or something like that. Like you, did you put in any time that that person put in at that all? Per, that could be, if you, if you work hard enough, that person could be you in 30 years. Yeah, exactly. Why do we, why do we look at everyone just wants to look at right now? Yeah. They don't want to look at the lifespan of labor, right? This whole living wage, whatever, like who in the world wants to make $15 an hour for the rest of their life? Yeah. Is that really what you want? Or do you want the opportunity to be able to advance? Because that's what you really want. Because it's not just you today. One thing I'd love that Jordan Peterson talks about. It's not just you today. It's you tomorrow and you next week and you next month and next year and 50 years from now. Yep. There's a lot of life ahead of you. What's your goals? What's your 50 year goal? Where do you want to be in life? 
What do you want to be when you grow up? Yes. And you can still ask that question at 30, 40, 50, 60. You can still ask that question. My mom just started her own cleaning business last year and she's 50 something. Yes. She's in her fifties. Yeah. I think later fifties now, (laughs) not 60 yet, but she did. It's it's one thing that people don't realize Like you said, there's, you know, there's this kind of span of lifetime of work. And as you work more, you tend to get paid more as you go through life. And one thing that these income statistics don't look at are the different age demographics, because generally the people who earn the most are people who are in the later stages of their careers. Maybe they're in their their later 40s or 50s or early 60s and they're making the most because they've been at those jobs for 20 or 30 years by now and so Mm -hmm. they've made their way up finally into the top five percent or maybe they've made it up into the top one percent and people don't talk about what the age demographics are so it's one of these ways that statistics can get messed up because if you have a massive influx of younger people say a lot a lot of younger people or a lot of millennials coming into a workforce well those are generally people who make less money because they don't have any work experience and when you don't have any work experience you get paid less so when you have a massive proportion of your country that is made up of younger people who generally make less money because they don't have experience when you have that big proportion of your society made up by those people well you're going to end up having a gap between people's wages because you have two of the biggest age demographics which is the baby boomers and the millennials the millennials are just now starting in their careers, and the baby boomers are have been in their careers for 20 or more years. And so when you talk about a, a some kind of a gap between income or between wealth, it's very important to also talk about the ages of those people overall. And you'll find that age has a really, really, is a really, really big determining factor in how big that gap is. I want you to take all the time that you spend complaining about how everyone else is doing better than you take all of that time that you all that time and energy that you would waste complaining. And how about you turn that into thinking about what you could do, be doing better today. So instead of complaining about how rich people don't pay taxes, even though they do, or CEOs make too much money, what could you be doing? And with that time on making yourself better, gaining that experience, even if it's working for free, who cares? learning for free. You know, it's like, there's a reason I can, there was, there's a reason that I command so much money for my time is because I have built up years worth of experience now. And my, the experience that I have is highly sought after. And there's not very many people that have that experience. So that what that allows me to do is because there's so much competition for that experience is I'm allowed to charge high prices for it. Yeah. Right. Because it means that, that my experience is highly valuable and I've taken the time not only on the job, but off the job to be as knowledgeable as I can possibly be. And there's still room for me to grow even. So in on, in all kinds of aspects of life, yep. not just one particular, uh, Jason Stapleton has a show it's called wealth power and influence now, but it used to just be called the Jason Stapleton show where he talked about your own human capital. And so instead of wasting time complaining, how about you spend that exact same amount of time since you have it, on investing in your own human capital and making yourself better every single day. Yeah, before Wouldn't you, that be a better option? Before you complain about that person, ask yourself, do I have the skill set that that person has? 
And if the answer is yes, then okay, then maybe you need to figure out how you can get to a better position. But more than likely, most of the time, the answer is going to be no. You're not going to have the same skill set that that person has. You don't have the same experience that that person has. And so you can at least get yourself to that point. So you can at least be arguing from the point that I have a better education and I know more about this than the CEO of the company does, so I should be running. Okay, then you have a leg to stand on. Get yourself to that point first before you just decide that you just need to hate everyone. But guys, thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for struggling with us through all of our sound difficulties over the last week. We're going to get it figured out by the end of this week. I promise you. I guarantee it. And uh, follow us on Instagram. It is at Good Morning Liberty. Follow us on Twitter at Good AM Liberty. Uh, look us up on Facebook, Good Morning Liberty, and go to GoodMorningLiberty.us if you want to read some great articles on politics and economics. That's another thing you can do, by the way, that you just did, is call yourself out. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have this finished by the end of this week. I guarantee All of it. these problems. And you're guaranteeing it. You're you're not only are you telling me, you're telling everyone that listens to us. Yep. That this is going to be fixed. So if it's not, that's on you. And they're, you know, they and can. And I'm, I'm not making that guarantee. They can cause an uproar and boycott the podcast if they want to <laughs> until you fire me. And, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. You know. And but I'll find someone that actually will fix the problem. I'm going to force myself to fix it. <laughs> I will. But anyway, just just a real life good example that you guys can use is set yourself some limits, you know, be like, man, by by four o'clock today, I'm going to go to the gym no matter what. And just say that and then see if you can stick to it. And you might make some mistakes along the way, but it's way better than not doing anything. Uh, Did you mention our shop? I I was going to let you do it. Well, maybe, maybe I should do it. First of all, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and review, and then hit up the merch stop shop. Because look, if you want to actually defeat communism and socialism, if you actually hate commies like we do, (laughs) then you have to put your money where your mouth is. I've put a lot of money where my mouth is for this. Doesn't sound sanitary for defeating socialism and communism because I hate commies. And so if you believe that same thing, put your money where your mouth is, help support the causes, help support the spread of the message of liberty and everything we've got going on, support the organizations that are getting people in the office, like Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, There's all kinds of cool things that you can do. So if you guys donate to that to us, we'll give you a t-shirt. You know, you're, you're trading some of your value and we'll give some value back to you. It's not, not asking for just blanket donations for a free show, what we're asking for is to give us a donation and we'll send you a t-shirt or a mug or whatever you get to pick. That's the cool thing. We've put stuff on there that you get to pick. So go to gmlconnect.com or goodmorningliberty.us slash slash shop or burninglies.com, lizlies.com. If you guys do all that, we'll be back again tomorrow to do this again. We hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.